Association. 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 That was such uber ponage. Hello, fellow nerds. Welcome to the Nerd Association podcast for a spooky version of things today from the WBNS radio studios in Columbus, Ohio. I'm your host, Mark Finch. And I'm your other host, Daniel Barnett, here on Nerd Association. We don't want you to forget that just because we have cool jobs, it doesn't make us cool. We want to remind you that uh, we are preparing ourselves for a special 25th edition of Nerd Association later this month. And as part of that episode, uh, we are going to be dealing with some pop culture hot takes. And we'd love to hear from you. Uh, let us know something controversial that uh, that you'd like for us to talk about briefly. We're going to be dealing with a number of them on that show. Um, one that I would suggest, at least, or that comes to my mind is how I think the Rocky movies suck. So there's that. Uh, if you have a hot take you'd like to send our way, you can do so by visiting the Nerd Association Twitter. That's at Nerd Asoc, N-E-R-D underscore A-S-S-O-C. Or you can email us at Nerd Asoc, and that's without the underscore, N-E-R-D-A-S-S-O-C at gmail.com. Now, we often tell you that if you'd like to be a nerd on our show, you can email us or you can reach out to us on Twitter. And uh, this gentleman that I'm about to introduce to you did just that and said, hey, guys, love the show, listen to it every week, and would love to come on and talk to you about uh, the, this particular topic. So I'd like to welcome Sean Bruger to the show. Sean, thanks for coming on and being our nerd today. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me. So what do you have lined up for us today? What do you guys think of when I say classic horror? Well, yeah, go ahead. I'm Josh. a little bit younger, so it's probably <laughs> gonna, you know, make some people feel old. But I think of like Halloween, you know, back to like the '70s, Exorcist Halloween, which I know because we prepped for this that we're going a little further back than that today. Yeah, although that's a, certainly a, a golden age of like a resurgence of a particular brand of horror. But um, I, I will say, I usually when I think of horror, I think uh, I'm not that much older than you, Chops, but I guess I I sure feel it because I think of things like uh, Dracula and Frankenstein's monster, um, a lot of the you know Vincent Price movies of the day, uh, Bela Lugosi, Lon Chaney Jr., those folks, and uh, I think that's where we're we're hitting today, right, Sean? Absolutely. The the films that or the the genre or the series that uh, that Chops mentioned with the Halloween and those sort of '80s slasher films, they had a um, they had a precursor. Somebody somebody had to pave the way for them to be movies. Um, whether that was just telling the story from a from a you know a horror film or things that went into production um you know a lot of things were learned when they made these original monster movies and um a lot of those practices were still used going pretty close to where we are today now um short of green screen and, and cgi and all that but well yeah I, I was thinking about leading up to this show how that if nothing else, like the kind, the makeup technology must have really come into its own, you know, to, 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 uh, turn these actors into these monsters. I know some of the effects were, were, um, less sophisticated. I'm thinking about like Lon Chaney Jr. and Phantom of the Opera, where he just essentially wore piano wire on his nose until it stuck that way. Um, right. But well, that certainly was, had an impact. And he was an actor that was sort of, um, 
Well, and actually it was, um, the one who started it all off was Lon Chaney Sr. Um, and he was sort of this known character actor that that really got in-depth into his characters, which all the detail from the makeup and, and keeping it on for long hours. And um, that's sort of how he got, got his, got famous. Um, and then his son filled in and going into the same type of movies and doing the same type of character work um, after him. So kind of the Daniel uh, Day Lewis of his day. Yeah. Yeah. So before we, before we dive, cause obviously we want to talk about some of these movies and the impact they've had on, on film and on pop culture, but Sean, what was your exposure to, to these movies? Um, did you watch them growing up? Is this something you came to later in life? Um, my, I, um, I didn't, I grew up without cable and, um, the internet was just sort of a new thing. Then I watched a lot of movies with like my, my grandma and my, my, uh, she had, she, I mentioned her because she is like a vast collection of movies, uh, hoarder may, might be on the edge of hoarding. <laughs> um, but, uh, we, we just, we watched a lot of old movies and then my older brother was a bit of a, he did a lot of art stuff and went to school for, for art and, uh, sort of fell into that horror genre and pulled me into it a little bit, but it was more of the, these classic monsters and not, not so much like uh, slasher films. And so at a very young, young, at a younger age, I, um, uh, really took hold on to those those key films and there's certainly an appreciation you can have for these films uh that i think is lost a little bit because you know it's universal this is like one of their stamps as far as like how they became one of the biggest uh production companies for movies in the world and the thing about it is in the 80s you had so many copycats once movies got popular that there, you know, there's Nightmare on Elm Street, Friday the 13th and Halloween, but then there's Sleepaway Camp and all these other type of, you know, B type movies that are slashers that, that aren't really good. And there were B movies in, in this time period as well, but those are also revered to a point too. So I feel like when you're watching these movies, it, it's not even always a question of how good it is because there's just something to to get out of them that you can appreciate because of how, how they used to make movies. Absolutely. Well, and I know you, you and I talked a little bit earlier this week too, that, that not just the, that you haven't just enjoyed the movies, but there's been the kind of experience of going to universal studios. I've never been, I don't know about you, Mark, but can you tell us a little bit more about, about that? Yeah, that's um, so think of, think of, you know, a movie studio, but we're going to take the the same quality and same um, effort we put into building movie sets and make, you know, a haunted maze or, or a house um, for you to walk through. And for a while, they've changed it up, but for a while, they, um, they do sort of their own original stories and they put backstory into the whole thing and really immerse you into the experience of just for one house. But they do that seven to eight times in one night i uh managed there i'd gone a few years um with to visit my brother who had lived down there at the time um and then uh i took my wife who's not a horror film 
person in the least. And it was funny because she could at least, she had no issues walking through these, these haunted houses, um, except for the fact that she, she was so caught up in just viewing the detail that she wasn't really moving along and ended up being like her own, like a target for all the scare actors as she's walking <laughs> through the maze. So then every corner, somebody pops out and, and it's always, it was always her that was getting scared because she's just sort of looking around amazed at everything that she's seeing. Um, it's very impressive. They use a lot of different techniques in those houses as well. Um, and just stuff that I couldn't even fathom on, on my own without having seen it. And some things you stop and think about afterwards, like how did they do that? Uh huh. Stuff that's like, you can't really appreciate while watching these black and white films fully. And then when you can see it in person, obviously in full color, because you're right there that you can really see the craftsmanship of these movies. Absolutely. Yes. And, and actually they, um, so they've, they've had a few, um, times where they've, they've used their characters, the, these classic monsters in, in a maze. Um, and one year, I think I remember, um, that it was the title of the maze was called ripped from the silver screen. So you walk through all the movies, all of these old movies, um, from Phantom to Dracula to Wolfman to Frankenstein, the mummy, a uh, creature from the Black Lagoon. Um, but it's, it was all black and white. They used some sort of fluorescent paint, huh. some sort of paint on it and just the light and then a certain type of light that illuminated everything. And then of course, all the props and characters are, are in that shade as well. And it was, it was pretty impressive. That's very cool. Yeah, I was I was going to ask yeah. you because I know that with some of the the movie monsters, they would have to use like really vibrant colors to make them in black and white differentiate them from other things. Um, you know, we often think about Frankenstein's monster being green, uh, but but he's only ever depicted at least in you know in those earliest films in black and white. And so I was curious how they handled that, but it's very cool to, to that they like give you that experience of being in the the black and white films. And a lot of these were silent films too, at least to start. Yeah. They, um, they started off with, um, you know, Lon, Lon Chaney senior as, um, actually he, he did two, uh, silent films. One was the hunchback, um, where he played Quasimodo. Um, and that was considered a horror film. Uh, and actually if you watch it, it makes it more creepy based on its age. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and then Phantom of the Opera, he was the, he did that as well, and the, that sort of kicked off their their jump Universal's jump into the horror genre. Um, and after that, they that's when they it was a big deal to have we got this new technology called sound in our movies and um, or audio, I should say. They, uh, <laughs> and that's when uh, they came out. Uh, I believe it was the early thirties with, um, Dracula and Frankenstein in mm -hmm. the same year. Yeah. 31. Yeah. Well, and, and I think it's interesting too, that they got all of these classic novels. So Phantom of the Opera and, and the Hunchback of Notre Dame being, you know, these classic French novels, you have Dracula that is Bram Stoker, an Irish author, Mary Shelley, who's English, um, and HG Wells with the invisible man. Now, obviously like the mummy and, um, the Wolfman and the creature, creature from the Black Lagoon, I believe, are obviously riffs on on 
on monsters that are sort of in folklore but not drawn from any particular novel but that they source took, material right yeah. but they took these classic books that people were fairly familiar with and and brought them to the silver screen in a way that um in some cases was fav- quite faithful to the source material and, and in the case of dracula um you know bella lugosi would only play a sexy dracula he would not play the like count dracula with weird fur on his palms and a bristly mustache and you know <laughs> that he's depicted as in the book he didn't want to look like a Nosferatu type that's just like the creepiest thing ever. Well, and the story with Nosferatu <laughs> is that they wanted to make Dracula, the book, into a film, and Bram Stoker wouldn't let them have the rights. So they had to do sort of a, an off version of it with this, um, you know, certainly monstrous-looking vampire cognate that was closer yeah. to folklore about vampires than than the, you know, the suave slick-backed hair Dracula ended up being. So the irony is that the one, you know, pretending to be Dracula just based on couldn't get the rights is probably closer to Dracula than the one who did get the rights. Yeah, in a lot of ways, for sure. (laughs) Well, that's funny, too, because there is, I don't know, looking at some of the, even the remakes that they did, Mm -hmm. I know they did one in um, with Keanu Reeves and and Gary Oldman in the 90s. Mm -hmm. And um, there is a, slight difference because they call it Bram Stoker. It's titled Bram Stoker's Dracula. Mm -hmm. Um, So like it's literally translated from the book where, like you said, the um, Bela Lugosi version um, and even Nosferatu were were, uh, a slight different. Well, and even Bram Stoker's Dracula, they had to add in like an ancient romance storyline that's not in the book because they needed to sex it up a little bit. Um, which, which is interesting because certainly they play that version of Dracula much closer to the source material, but they just had to have Vlad the Impaler, you know, seeing his long lost love in the wife of the protagonist and needing to have yeah. her. Well, as we know from modern times, vampires can be really zhuzhed up to be quite the sex symbols, at least for teenage girls. Isn't that interesting? There's a lot of there's like a lot of psychology in how vampires represent the fear of the like sexy foreign influence. Yeah. There's like yeah, there's a lot to be said for the kinds of movies that are made like the era in which certain movies are made yeah. has a lot of reflection on the fears of the time. So like zombie movies were made as a re- as a response to the red scare of like the 50s yeah. and 60s. Um, and vampire, like the sexy vampires were a lot about like the fears of not foreign, but in the sort of American sense of like, uh, if, if America has long been like a white male centric society that others more seductive influences would come in and take people away anyway. We don't have to get into well, the sociology of horror films. But. Well, I, while we're there, just real quick, I mean, obviously we're going through a crisis around the world right now that's going to definitely influence horror movies to come. So oh, it'll sure. be interesting to see what horror directors and writers and just people who maybe we don't even know that will be famous in the coming years, what they ever come up with to depict things that yeah are just like allegories for the coronavirus. Well, and even going back to, I mean, similar, all these folk, all the folk tales and, and, you know, like Grimm's fairy tales, those, those were told to, for some reason, whether that was to have children not wander off in the woods or, you know, listen to your parents, uh, 
don't talk to strangers. It's sure. It's kind of similarly. Yeah. How are we telling us? How how are we telling the story to uh, influence the environment around? Yeah, us, they're ca- they're cautionary tales in almost every case of some kind. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, you know things like vampires and and werewolves and things like that were there to explain things about nature that people didn't understand. The way that corpses could still be pristine under certain circumstances, even after they'd been buried for months or people who suddenly just went, went mad and just and killed half of their village. You know, there's, it's hard to comprehend those things. And so we make, we make stories up about them. I have this so we can explain them somehow. It's easier to point the finger at the boogeyman and say that that is like the ultimate evil than it is to just fully understand how things can go completely haywire in a historical context. I, I get what you're saying there. Yeah. I, I think while we're talking about how these things come from history, these movies are now historic and now we're in a modern time. There's a problem that people have, and it happens more with horror movies. It happens with probably comedy as well, where when you're out of, when you're out of that time period, you watch it and it might not have the same effect that it's intended. But I feel like these movies, if you want to, if you, take the opportunity to put yourself in that time and immerse yourself or watching these movies. Yeah. They might be in black and white. Some of them might be silent films, but if you, if you really let your guard down, these movies are still scary it, just because they don't have jump stairs and insidious levels of CGI and all that stuff that they can still really frighten you. And I think that's important because that seems to be a thing that gets lost a lot of times. Like I think the exorcist, as I mentioned earlier, is one of the scariest movies of all time. But when they re-released it in like 2000 into theaters, there were people who were like laughing at it. And it's like, you got to take a step back and appreciate what it was for the time. And I think these movies actually can't still scare you. Absolutely. They, um, they do have jump scares to some extent, like, but not much, but it's more of a back. I think it's even a telling of the times they were, you know, these movies were more written for suspense and, uh-huh. and getting you that way. And I think it's like, not, not something that terrify you in the moment, but something that might, you might think about later. If you look down the dark out. hallway yeah, later that night right. or something. Yeah. <laughs> And I and that's why I think that's why I, another reason I was so drawn to these this subject material the these monsters. Well, I think too. Looking, I'm thinking of a specific example um, in Frankenstein, but I think that probably this happened in other movies where the the movies became scarier in the in the editing. So the ex- specific example I'm thinking of is in Frankenstein. There's that scene where he's throwing flowers into the pond mm-hmm. with the little girl. And then they cut very abruptly to her floating like face down in the water. And the original shot of that scene was that he, they ran out of flowers and he didn't understand. So he threw her in thinking like it's fun, right? They made the next thing in, right? They made him a sympathetic character, but in edit. And then of course, like at the time they were like, that's horrifying. You can't show him murdering a little girl, but it became so much more insidious in the editing of it to suddenly just have her floating face down in the pond than it ever was in the you yeah. know <laughs> so i'm not sure how much that happened across these films but i certainly know of that example of frankenstein's monster becoming far more terrifying in the edit than it ever was in the production and that's a classic thing that's been around for horror movies since then that 
it's funny what you can't see is really the scariest which is one of the reasons the first movie i ever saw from any of these series was the creature from the black lagoon and i was probably like eight years old or something like that maybe even younger it was like just a movie that was on somebody's vhs down in their basement and we threw it in and it it's scary because yeah it makes you fear water <laughs> and that's something that really you have no idea the mysteries of water are so vast so when you have something put into your head that there's just a random creature down there that can harm you it's terribly frightening that could have been even a precursor to uh the jaws films like Mm -hmm. it sort of started that whole mystery of the deep feeling i guess yeah so i I think it's worth maybe taking a few minutes to run through kind of what the classic universal monsters are. Uh, and mm-hmm. Sean, you're the expert here. So and I've seen some of these films that sound, you know, Mark's seen some of these films, but it seems, seems like you've seen a greater portion of them. So can we run the, down the list of like the classic, I think we came up with like a classic eight uh, that were kind of the rotating cast of these movies. Yeah. And, and a lot of these movies have, have their own several sequels. Mm-hmm. Um, which which are oh, pretty good, but I would still kind of harken back to the, and the, with the exception of Frankenstein, um, most of these their original films, and then once we get to where they start started crossing over into like daughter of son of ghost of revenge of <laughs> yeah because they started yeah they 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 tried a few different. Um, well, I'll I'll get into it. Here. Sure. They um, <laughs> so you they started with uh, Dracula and Frankenstein, and those came out same year. Um, they, of course, Bella Lugosi, who we all sort of imagine as Dracula, most at least who I see as Dracula whenever I think of Dracula, mm-hmm. um, except for the Count from Sesame Street. Um, <laughs> 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 right. Uh, and then Boris Karloff uh, was Frankenstein's monster. Um, and then the mummy, the invisible man. And then they had uh, Bride of Frankenstein, which is considered one of the better films of all of these. Um, and it, I, it is, it is in my top top uh few movies um of this group is that one like misnamed or i've never seen that one is it supposed to be bride of frankenstein's monster is it misnamed or did he dr frankenstein build a bride for himself um he well he built it he built it for his monster okay so that is that is um you know, I've never actually thought of that. That's never come to mind <laughs> with the title there. Um, Cause you're right. It's the monsters Frankenstein. Well, it's made for the monster. Um, and I don't want to be here to be the person who's like, well, it's actually Frankenstein's monster. I'm pretty okay <laughs> no. with people saying Frankenstein yeah. when they mean the monster. But if we're being technical, I just felt like it's something that popped in uh, my head. It's an interesting question to ask. Cause um because yeah, it's it's pedantic, but it's actually seems like it might be pedantic to an end 
instead of just i mean <laughs> right. here on nerd association boy, nerd we, association we pedantic love, to an end we love pedantry uh but i think in this case you've asked an actual like intelligent question <laughs> <laughs> well and the other funny thing is the that the person who the, who's in who's the title's named for is not in the movie until the very end Huh. Could they just not get Boris to kind of like, was he busy on some other picture? Like, <laughs> no, it was mainly, it was a main, it was a primarily a Frankenstein movie. And, and yeah. And then she comes in at the, she's created at the end. Hmm. Oh, and, and in fact, he's in it. I was, I, I lied. Yeah, he yeah. is at the end of it. Yeah. It's interesting. I'm, so I'm looking at the Wikipedia. I've never seen this movie. I know it's quite popular among the, among them, but the actress who played the Bride of Frankenstein is also plays the role of Mary Shelley earlier in the film. So they they that's very yeah. meta for, for them to have the author of Frankenstein as a character in the movie about Frankenstein. Yeah, they were trying to blow 1930 minds. Back. <laughs> I guess so. Anyway, sorry to interrupt. I just thought that was no, wild. <laughs> there's a lot of there's actually I mean there's a lot of interesting casting um, swapping around that they do too. in a lot of these movies, like you can tell, I don't know what I don't know is if at the time in that era, I mean, I assume a studio, the studio hires on hires actors or contracts actors to come in and, and, and do movies. But um, like, if you look at a lot of the casting for a lot of these movies, there's it's almost like, Hey, this is our pool of people that we have to choose from because they, they're all over and crisscrossing playing different people, different characters sure. in all of these movies. You know, it's funny is we've kind of circled back around that. I've noticed when watching like streaming service movies, like Netflix produced movies that you see a lot of the same actors pop up, you know, like three times in three different movies, just randomly, you know, playing different roles. And I think it's because they probably sign more of like a movie deal, like a multi-movie deal with Netflix and then just show up for these roles. And it sounds like it's kind of similar. So it's funny how it's the world of signing actors has gone cyclical like that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, to that end, I was looking, um, I mean, Karloff certainly plays several of the like titular characters. And as you mentioned, Lon Chaney is the Phantom of the Opera, and his son is the Wolfman. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Yes. Junior plays yep. Wolfman. And and actually, yeah, and Lon Chaney Jr. is the only actor of the main group um, that has played all of these characters. He he's done a few movies as. Um, I think he played Dracula in one movie. He d played the Mummy in another movie. He played the invisible man and Frankenstein. And he was sort of the, uh, again, like you said, very Daniel day Lewis. He was very, uh, method actor about who he was playing, but he, they must've, he must've, uh, enjoyed the genre, I guess. Yeah. That's very cool. Going through the movie series, uh, Daniel mentioned how, as they started to really ramp up and, you know, throw the crossovers in there, Frankenstein meets the Wolfman. Then there's the mummy's ghost, the mummy's curse There's a bunch of the mummy ones late, but are we considering when Abbott and Costello join the, <laughs> join the, the universe, is that when they jump the shark? Is that what we're going to go with? Is that when it was like, Oh, this is run its course. And now they're just using these copyrights they own. Uh, so. It, it was the yes it was their uh their way of trying to uh 
get the water out of the ship because the, the <laughs> horror films were, were going down at that time in the late 40s, early 50s. Uh-huh. Um, and a lot of it also, they, they sort of had peaks and, and dips and dives, but they, um, uh, you know, you also think what's happening at the time and, you know, you have the outbreak of World War II. And so that's, they sort of saw a, a, um, a lot like a interest for this, for these movies go down a lot because there were real world horrors. Yeah. The interest <laughs> right. to be horrified by right. media was not as needed. Now, unless you have, wanted. You, you know, like the invisible, one of the invisible man's, um, he had a sequel that it wasn't Claude Rains who played him, the original guy. Um, but one of his sequels was Invisible Agent, which I believe he was a some it was had some sort of tie to. Um, it was a spy movie, kind of. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, they so they sort of died off a little bit, um, or at least weren't as popular. And then that's when they said, "Well, let's let's have Frankenstein meet the Wolfman." Yeah. And uh, <laughs> and interestingly enough, it it was not Boris Karloff playing Frankenstein and Frankenstein meets the Wolfman. Um, Bella Lugosi played Frankenstein and Frankenstein meets the Wolfman. Interesting. Yeah. Which you, which I believe isn't the story that famously that Boris Karloff got the role of Frankenstein's monster because Bella Lugosi originally refused to put on the ugly makeup. They wanted him to do it, but he wouldn't. And so that's when they got Boris Karloff. So that ten, it's interesting that ten years later he finally relented and was like, "All right, fine." Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. It is. I, I chops. I don't think you're wrong about the whole like Abbott and Costello angle and like we joked about the ridiculousness of some of these titles. But something I didn't don't think I realized was the like the Wolfman and the creature from the Black Lagoon are two of these classic horror, you know, universal horror monsters. And the Wolfman was the, like the original character of the 1940s and Creature from the Black Lagoon was of the 1950s. So it's kind of like as these movies start to peter off a little bit, they were able to introduce a new character or a new concept that got people reinvigorated or excited about it again, at least for a while. And then, yeah. you know, then by the mid, the mid to late 50s you know, these movies stopped being made, at least by Universal. Of course, that's when a lot of these properties were picked up by other studios. And there's that famous mm-hmm. run of like Christopher Lee playing Dracula and all these movies, um, for right, one example. Right. Well, and, and then also in the fifties, you had sci-fi becoming more and more popular. Sure. Um, so the, your classic monsters were going, were, uh, sort of losing to the it was a monsters versus aliens scenario sure they couldn't have dracula goes to the moon (laughs) (laughs) i think that would work right vampires don't need to breathe well i was thinking they probably had some b movie out there probably (laughs) the moon vampires (laughs) the moon vampire you can't go to you can't go to the moon it's full of vampires well y'all let's the problem is is that the moon vampires would just end up with them fighting werewolves and we already know that that series of movies was made (laughs) (laughs) just a final thought on that it is interesting that as these movies that are holdovers of old world lore from the old country uh are the monster movies during the time when like oh i don't know hitler is coming to power and people were finding things from europe to be scared of 
and then when yeah. when it came you know when the 50s rolled around it is suddenly like the nuclear age space travel and mm-hmm. aliens are a metaphor for spies or like people infiltrating um, yeah. like the you know at that time the soviet union in fact famously the soviet union wore gray uniforms and things like that and so uh, i do yeah it is interesting that that, that is when that shift happens I, I was just going to say, you know, going into looking forward from the classic ones, seeing some of the remakes and things like that. And like, I don't know, I kind of wanted to go over, do we, which ones do we put stock in and which ones do we consider unfortunate remakes or reboots? I am a particular fan of the mummy franchise actually with uh Brennan Fraser. So I like those ones, but I'm looking through these, Van Helsing, I'm pretty sure, was kind of a flop. I don't think people cared too much about that. And then I don't even remember this Wolfman movie coming out in 2010. Yeah, I don't either. I was just interesting that you said that. The the shame is Van Helsing, that movie is not great. But the character uh-huh. of Van Helsing is great. Like, just, yeah. just like a badass <laughs> that goes around and, and he's this, like, old, you know, Polish man or Dutch man von helsink that knows all about the monsters and their weaknesses and like i don't know he's just a very cool character it's a it's a shame that they had to you know they put hugh jackman who's a fine actor in that role and it just didn't do anything yeah and they used a lot of elements of the storytelling for that movie or the story they made for that movie they used a lot of the elements from the older older films Mm -hmm. um but sort of similar to the those mummy remakes uh, you mentioned, like I, I enjoyed those as well. Um, but if They're you ever watch adventure the, movies than horror movies, right, but the original mummy movie with Carla, um, that whole movie is essentially the story for the first two mummy movies that remakes that Brendan Fraser was in. Okay, um, like the whole Emotep arc. Yeah, and then trying to um, you know resurrect his dead girlfriend, and it's it's uh, it's interesting to see like what was used and what wasn't when you get to the remakes. Um, but those were fun yeah. fun adventure films, um, and I did I did see the Wolfman. It wasn't um, a lot of people didn't care for it. It got slammed by critics, um, but sort of I I enjoyed it, but that to some extent it hits a point in at towards the end of the movie where it was sort of um oh too over the two the idea they used was too over the top and out of my out of my wheelhouse and okay. uh but it still has the it has that same sort of like an updated feel to the old movies i guess that's, um, that's a shame because look at that cast benicio right. del toro anthony hopkins emily blunt and hugo weaving Yep. That's awesome. Yeah. And then you got it directed by Joe Johnston. I I recognize the name, so I looked it up. And he's got just such a interesting filmography from The Rocketeer, which we've talked about here (laughs) Mm -hmm. on Nerd Association. October Sky, that one's fun. Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, though, out of nowhere. (laughs) Jurassic Jurassic Park 3, which was the worst Jurassic Park until they rebooted it. And then he goes on, he has a. Captain America, the first Avenger. So he's done that as well. And along with just some other movies, but it's just interesting that a director like that, which is such a interesting filmography, couldn't make it work with a cast like that. 
Jurassic yeah. Park 3 well, being the worst Jurassic Park is a hot <laughs> is a pop culture hot take that somebody should submit to our Twitter at nerd underscore associ- or Gmail nerdassoci at gmail.com because I would I would fight gladly fight you on some of that chops anyway <laughs> actually personally I do like Jurassic Park 3 um, well, we'll, come, not, we'll save but it we'll, but we'll I do think it. that's a pop we'll culture hot take to be sure okay yeah, I, I, yeah, it's they had these sort of remakes that uh, that happened in the you know in the the late '90s, then the early 2000s, and that petered off, and then now all of these are being rebooted. I'll admit I had not heard of Dracula Untold. Um, anyone in this crowd <laughs> seen that one? <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, uh, anything good um, about it? <laughs> So I did not, I will admit, I didn't see it when it first came out. And I don't know how long it had been out before I finally watched it. Um, it was entertaining. I will say that. It okay. was good. It was fine. Well, there you go. Um, yeah. Nothing spectacular, but I mean, it was pretty good. And then they tried to copy the success of the Marvel movie universe. And they tried to do the dark universe started with the Tom Cruise mummy movie in 2017. That was a flop. And then even though they had done big cast pictures and Johnny Depp was going to play the invisible man and Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde was going to be Russell Crowe. It just, it all failed. It all failed at that movie. And they just kind of gave up on it. It's still listed here as like TBA for all these movies that they had plans to make. And they're just not going to happen. That's yeah, that's sad. If only because I'd love to see the Renfield movie. That's such a like an interesting <laughs> character. In so, are you guys familiar with Renfield? No. Yeah. So okay, for the uninitiated in the Dracula novel, Renfield is this, um, like institutionalized patient at like an asylum, who Dracula in it, when Dracula goes to London from Romania, he's like feeding on this guy. And he kind of drives him crazy. And Renfield ends up being the one that draws them close so that Dracula can strike. And Renfield has come to be a term for like the the peon or the pawn that like a more powerful entity uses to draw people to him, to like trick them okay. into getting too close kind of thing. So I think it'd be interesting to to have that movie, but oh well. This I'm just seeing as I, I clicked on Renfield here in the Wikipedia page. Guess who portrays him in Francis Ford Coppola's uh, Bram's Bram Stoker's Dracula? Uh, mm, I don't remember. Who does? It's Tom Waits, who we have also talked oh, about on right. Association. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, had for, I, so, knew, I, I had forgotten about that, but yeah. Very. Fun little connection there. Yeah, for sure. All right, so we've gone over how these movies have gone through time with the classic ones into remakes, into reboots that failed at being their own new universal uh, universe of yeah. <laughs> movie monsters. I do think before we before we go to the inevitable, which is the best, it's worth saying at this point that even like back in the 30s, 40s, and 50s, Universal Studios were the first ones to do this where you had this mm-hmm. like ca- like these high profile characters in solo movies that were all part of the same universe and crossed over into each other's films in a way that I mean cinema obviously was younger in those days so somebody had yeah. to have done it eventually but it is interesting that like this paved the way for something like the Marvel Cinematic Universe and now even you know in the same way Star Wars is branching out into different 
film and and television and things like that um dc you know you name it yeah um how it's it paved the way for those like uh all-inclusive uni- or uh cinematic universes right and and i actually i mean i think the universal was the first to do it and then you had a couple other franchises throughout you know the gap between then and now that have crossed over aliens and predator and all that um but <laughs> you know this this recent attempt to reboot their their monster universe and make it into a one thing i think where they failed is they tried to do it like they tried to do it like marvel and mm-hmm. they should just stick with their own uh, their own old template of let's just do these individual good films. And then we don't have to have it have some direct connection Im- immediately. We can, yeah. If we're in the same time period and that's good. <laughs> yeah. That's what, yeah. That was, I think people's biggest complaint is that like, we're in the middle of this mummy movie, but we spend 20, 25 minutes with Dr. Jekyll, you know, explaining how everything's connected. And it's like, well, couldn't we right. just have the mummy movie before we have to already have the connective tissue? Right. And, and Dr. Jekyll's uh, quote unquote shield organization that was supposed yeah. to tie all the films together. Yeah. Yeah. That is, <laughs> you're right. That is sad that they, they could have copied their own, like they were the ones that did it. They could have copied or followed their own <laughs> steps mm-hmm. instead of trying to do it this, you know, the other way. Ah, who knows? And then by the time they got through all of them, they could have done a, a CG Abbott and Costello meets <laughs> their new monsters. <laughs> Now that raises an interesting question: Who is the modern day Abbott and Costello? Do we have comedy duos uh, like that anymore? Rock and Kevin Hart, maybe. Will I mean, Carol and uh, <laughs> John C. Riley. That's exactly yeah. it. You're yeah. Sean. You've got it right. That's exactly who they would do. <laughs> Dale and Brennan from Step Brothers meet Frankenstein's monster. Harold and Kumar <laughs> go to Dracula's castle. <laughs> there you go that one oh wow that one has layers good job daniel thank you and thank it you. says white castle but the white is crossed out in blood it's yeah exactly <laughs> um wow i'm making that movie tmtm <laughs> i'm claiming that concept because that's the best comedy horror since Shaun of the dead anyway <laughs> now comes the time in the show because everything has to be we live in a listicle universe Everyone, who? What's your top three from the from the Universal Pictures uh, Dark Universe slash Universal Monster movies? What's your top three? Who wants to go uh, first? Sean, you're the nerd. We'll let you go first. Are we including everything? Anything or you want? Like all remakes or? Well, I so I'm gonna I'm gonna keep mine to the the older films. Sure. Um, for now, uh, the. My number one is The Invisible Man. All right. It is, it's, it's a movie you can watch now and say, walk, like, it keeps you no boring spots. You, Whether you're staring at trying to figure out how they did the, the special effects or in the 30s or uh, uh, just following the story keeps you, keeps you going. Um, and uh, no, fun fact, um, if you count all the, the take the body count for every monster movie um or monster from their franchise the invisible man 
is topped only by Jason Voorhees. He has killed more people oh. than all the other monsters combined. That's very uh, interesting. <laughs> yeah. And I think I did see I think that's um, ridiculous. I have, the, I have the Invisible Man in my bottom three. Oh. Rude. Quite <laughs> as rude. As far as scary goes. Well, yeah, I was well, having he, this conversation. Hey, hey Chops. That's what? all well and good, but he's in the room with you right now. <laughs> I was having this conversation with with Jen, my fiance, and the reason the Invisible Man doesn't scare me is I looked this up just to be sure. Claude Rains is five foot seven, rumored to be maybe around 165 pounds when he was making this movie. Well, I'm like six three, two sixty. If I see a knife floating through the through the air. I don't care. Come at me. Maybe he gets one stab and I know where he is now. I can grab it. Anything. I'll find a way to get him. I'll grab him. And then, then it's over. What's he going to do? I don't care if he's invisible. I'm twice his size. He'll just wait till you're about to walk down the stairs. I've never walked downstairs in my life. <laughs> just, just for, just for the record, Bruce Lee was five, seven, one forty one. Yet if you're not scared of him, you're an asshole. Well, the <laughs> invisible man is a scientist, not a martial arts master. Well, but it th- imagine uh, it, that it, Bruce Lee was visible and he still could have killed you. Yeah. But Bruce Lee had a, a licensed <laughs> reasons to be able to kill me with just his hands. I'm just saying this guy's just some guy. Sure. He's invisible, but. Once I look crazy too, he's also crazy. And isn't there the implication that like the invisible serum makes him like stronger, stronger. more, more like physically capable. He he chokes a lot of people in that movie uh, or strangles a lot of people in that movie. And I think they do mention something to the effect of his, (laughs) his crazy, crazy man strength or something. I don't don't care how big you are. If someone gets a brain choke or like a blood choke on you, you're down in six seconds. My dude. I stand by what I said. All right. Well, you'll you'll fall down by it when he comes up behind you. <laughs> but but also, um, I don't remember. What I can't remember is if it was in the first original movie or one of the sequels. I think it was in the original. Think, think of a movie in the '30s. He that where they the villain derails a train and kills everybody on board. Do you think that was something that they uh, <laughs> like accepted in movies back then? They, uh, I mean, they edited out a line in Frankenstein because when he created the monster, Frankenstein said something about believing in God or something. And they didn't want it to, or maybe he said my God and they like, didn't want it to, to offend the, um, you know, very religious people. And so it was because it was blasphemy at the, in that, you know, know, (laughs) they, uh, so, I mean, the fact that they would do that, but then let, let's, it's okay that they kill a train load of people in a, yeah. on film. It's kind of, that's interesting to me. I mean, anyway, a classic yeah. censorship question about what you say, like all these things that you're not allowed to say in movies, but you can just like have someone blow the heads off of all these characters. Right. Yeah. Right. Anyway. So, okay. So Invisible Man's your number one. Who else is in your top three? Um, Wolfman. Mm-hmm. He's um, just some. It's just uh, to me, it's the classic. I think it was the first of them all that I had seen. So that's probably why I have more of a uh, draw to it. Um, and then, oh, that's tough. Um, you know what? Screw it. I'm gonna go Abbott and Costello meets the Wolf <laughs> meets uh, Frankenstein. I mean, I'm sure it's a fun film. It is. And actually the first one, um, they, it did get really, it did, it was pretty, pretty well accepted. And 
I think one of the like British film historical film society, I don't, some organization that is uh, in that genre in that area. It's it's considered one of the better parody horror films and is up there with Shaun of the Dead. It, um, it's interesting. So in that movie, Abbott and Costello encounter Dracula played by Bella Lugosi, <laughs> uh, the Wolfman, Blonde Chaney Jr., and then some guy as Frankenstein's monster, whose right. real name, by right. the way, is Glenn Strange. So that's cool. <laughs> um, but yeah, I I have to... That's funny that those big-time actors... Although I guess we we like to... We think of Abbott and Costello as being like... A, I mean, they were like this big deal. They were a big deal back then. So... Yeah it's we can laugh at them as that as this being some like campy thing but it was probably a pretty legitimate attempt to reignite people's interest in these movies right exactly um all right chops uh big 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 guy what's your uh what's your top three (laughs) i went top three uh dracula i think dracula is like a bit mysterious and like conniving so i think maybe he could possibly outsmart me so plus there's also like a lot of abilities for vampires that you know i'm not all sure of so i feel like he could he could really uh be a formidable foe if i was so you are scared of dracula i am scared of dracula (laughs) okay well good (laughs) sorry frankenstein's frankenstein's monsters next for the exact opposite reason of the invisible man he's a big strong guy what am i gonna do I don't have any torches that I can, and a whole town to whip into a frenzy to take them on. So Frankenstein's monster freaks me out. And then the, the, as I was saying earlier about the unknown of water, the creature from the black lagoon. And that was probably because it was the first one of these movies that I had ever seen too. So that one freaks me out as well. Yeah. uh, So I can't be super original unless I just want to do it for the sake of originality. I, I would say the invisible man's in my top three, Chops, you need to be more scared of smart people. Um, in in the same vein, uh, I mean Frankenstein. Uh, I I think I know the most about it as a like as a film being made, and I think it's also just like a classic, beautiful, cool story. And yet again, a reason you should be afraid of smart people because uh, Victor Frankenstein. The line I think you're referring to, Sean, is um, where he says, "My God," and then he's like, "Ah, I am I am become a god." Because he like yes. he plays yeah. God in that movie, um, and then dude, I'm it's Dracula. You're right. It's, vampires are scary. They're yeah. sexy. <laughs> Bella Lugosi is also in some of my favorite like old time horror movies that aren't part of the universal, like Black Cat that he was in with, mm-hmm. um, with Boris Karloff was was horrifying, and he was yeah. in a lot of yeah. of the uh, like remakes of Edgar Allan Poe's stories. Wasn't he was in one with Vincent Price too? Uh, cask of Amontillado, maybe. Anyway, but I love, oh, I love I, that story. It's so good. Anyway, yeah. so um, yeah. So there's I to me Dracula. Like, you can't get more classic of a monster movie or like a monster well, character the, than than the vampire. And if there is a vampire, it's Dracula. Another scary thing about Dracula too is if your guard's down, he can be charming and he can seem like he's a good guy that might be on your side. And that's that's freaky too that you know all of a sudden you could possibly be friends with the vampire. Yeah. I I want to do a nerd crossover for a second that informs okay. this decision. So I've <laughs> talked about the fact that I play Dungeons and Dragons. 
and I've played through a number of the like written modules for Dungeons and Dragons. Uh-huh. And of course, in every one of those stories, you end like fighting some big baddie. Okay, I've fought like dragons that wanted to eat me and or turn me into mush. I've fought uh, you know giant kings who wanted to smush me. But I'll tell you what, when I played Curse of Strahd and Strahd von Zarovich, who is based on Dracula, like that is the scariest time I've ever had playing Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, and for me, it's like there's there was there's never been a better a better module. So that that probably contributes to it. Before we close it out, too, I want to get everybody's least scary monster. I'll start Phantom of the Opera. Dude, straight up sucks. Don't go to the opera. Problem solved. I'm not scared of him. He's just some guy with a messed up face running around a the theater. Don't care. <laughs> All right. Toxic masculinity much this week, Chops? Uh, Sh- I don't. Sean, what? <laughs> what about you, Sean? Um, Mark's right. Uh, you know, Phantom <laughs> of the Opera. Well, so I got, I got, I got two. I got, okay. I got a couple. Um, Phantom of the Opera. He's just a creepy dude, creeping on on ladies at the at the theater. Karloff did a great job as Frankenstein, but Frankenstein is, um, to me, not scary. Yeah. Just a guy trying to fit in. Just a guy trying to fit in. There you go. To me, if if your argument is don't go to the opera, my argument is don't go to the Black Lagoon. Problem solved. <laughs> yeah, but you might not. You might not know the Black Lagoon. It might be any body of water. You might opinion. not know the opera. It might be any yeah. theater. Yeah, but I'm still not afraid of him. <laughs> okay. What's he gonna do? Take me on his gondola? That sounds delightful. Hope he made sandwiches. Oh, you see, he lures you into a false sense of security. Yeah, there's always this implication, though. I want to t- I want to dive into that for one hot second. There's always this implication, though, that the Phantom of the Opera can, like, charm people. So you might be like, oh, what's he going to do? Sing me to death? Well, he might turn you into his, like, mindless, you know, sex slave. Oh, no. And then... Wait. Uh, well, that's not the worst thing. <laughs> All right. On that note, I'd like to thank uh, I'd like to thank Sean Brueger for coming on today, filling us in on all of this uh, wealth of knowledge about the Universal Monster Universe, and uh, and you know having some laughs with us. Sean, thank you so much for coming on today. Thanks for having me. It was a great time. All right. Well, we'll have Thanks you back lot, sometime. Yeah. And uh, folks out there listening, uh, once again, send us your pop culture hot takes. You can find us on Twitter at nerd underscore associ, N-E-R-D underscore A-S-S-O-C, or uh, write us at our Gmail address. That's nerdassoc, all one word, at gmail.com. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll talk to you next week.